Hey, everybody. Welcome to Behind the Tour, the podcast from American Christian Tours that goes behind the scenes of some of the most iconic sites, historic characters, and true stories in American history to discover how God has been at work since the very beginning. Well, this is Aaron Kronk, your host for Behind the Tour today, and our desire and purpose is to provide insight for today and hope for the future as we look at history from a biblical perspective and worldview and uncover the hidden lessons of our past. Well, in our previous podcast, we had a short visit with Dr. Marshall Foster. So if you didn't catch that one, uh, go back uh, one previous episode and tune into that one, give it a listen. Uh, But Marshall Foster was on location at the Forefathers Monument in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and that was in celebration of the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Pilgrims in Plymouth. Well, in this episode, we want to pick up again in Plymouth and learn a little bit more about America's hometown. Well, today I am joined by one of ACT's professional education program leaders, which we call EPLs for short, and her name is Lisa Strong. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Hi, Aaron. It's great to be with you today. I am so excited you're with us. I hope I hope you're excited. I am very excited. You've given me a topic to to touch on that is really close to my heart. Awesome, awesome. Well, Lisa, I'm looking forward to dialoguing a little a little bit with you today and talking about uh, one of my favorite places too, uh, historically. So, but before we do that, Lisa, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay, I am a I guess you call me a semi-retired teacher. I taught for 25 years. My last teaching position was at a a Christian school, and that's where I was introduced to the idea of providential history. As a result of having a school that taught history from a providential view, uh, we got connected with American Christian Tours and started taking students on Christian history tours of Plymouth and Boston. And I fell in love with the company years ago, and Jay and I spent a little bit of time trying to work things out so that I could get on board, and here I am, living, living the dream. God's given me the desire of my heart. And, and Lisa, teachers never really retire, do they? No, never. <laughs> well, it's awesome, Lisa. Um, let's spend a few minutes talking about uh, the pilgrims and who they were. Uh, and why they voyaged to the new world. I personally see their story as one of just amazing adventure and one of faith through hardship and endurance through persecution. So, Lisa, who are the pilgrims? Well, you know, I think that the pilgrim story is one that is highly underrated and has been portrayed in a way of uh, that does not really underline the true character and the courage that these people had. Uh, Everybody knows that they started out in England, maybe not exactly where. They started out uh, actually as uh, Puritans, and the Puritans wanted to purify the church. They were unhappy. The Church of England had retained some of its Catholic practices, and uh, they had uh, begun reading scripture for themselves and had decided that they weren't a big fan of the king being the head of the church. They did not feel like the practices were biblical as they had begun to understand. 
And so the Puritans tried to purify the church from within the church, remaining there. And then there was a group of them who just decided this just isn't working. In our conscience, we can no longer continue to worship this way. We see the king's not willing to budge. The church is not changing. So we're going to separate ourselves. And really, uh, the pilgrims are separatists. The, The term pilgrim comes a little bit later, but they separate from the church and they undergo a great deal of persecution back in England. Uh, and I think that's part of the story that's that's left out a lot, just exactly everything they had to endure that caused them not just to separate the church, but to make the decision to separate from the land that they lived in and their families and their lives and everything that was there. Right, right on. Yeah. In this the small band of religious dissidents, again, these guys kind of strike me um, as heroes, maybe unbeknownst to themselves, but heroes in kind of a grand historical epic, <laughs> uh, stretching across four centuries now, you know, 400 years. And it's, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that their courageous voyage uh, really fundamentally altered the direction of the world. Um, I think it's that big uh, because, you know, the, the small beginnings, uh, as William Bradford even says himself, at Plymouth uh, represent kind of that, that proverbial mustard seed that would eventually grow into uh, a mighty tree of liberty. So the Pilgrim story is really pretty amazing from beginning, I wouldn't even say to end because it still endures, right? Absolutely. I listened uh, to Marshall Foster's podcast the other day, and you know he used the term that this was the greatest political event in the history of the world, and it, it remains so. Uh, I think it's diminished in the minds of our culture today because it's not taught necessarily as completely as it could be, but it was. It was the single greatest political event to take place when uh, when they stood aboard that Mayflower and signed that compact. Uh, that was their their really true act of separation. One last thing I can think of, Lisa, is just you know that journey that they had uh, in 1607. After years of harassment, this this little congregation, so to speak, of dissenters was eventually chased out of England uh, by that authoritarian King James. And they they fled to Leiden, Holland, for 12 years. And from that point, they eventually struck up a little deal, you know, with the king. And they gained, they exchanged their the religious freedom to go to America, to go to the new world. So that's kind of where we find ourselves now, you know, in Plymouth. Why don't we talk a little bit about the theme, the big idea. The big idea for Plymouth is faith. And I think it's appropriate. Faith is defined as a constant outlook of trust towards God, whereby human beings abandon all reliance on their own efforts and put their full confidence in him, his word, and his promises. Uh, As Christians, we know that faith is foundational to our relationship with God, and we can trace that theme all throughout scripture. So I kind of like that that definition of faith. Uh, I'd like to focus on just a little bit William Bradford. He was the leader of the Pilgrims, the Plymouth Colony's first governor. Well, he has a quote here that I like. Uh, He says, I am not only willing to part with everything that is dear to me in this world for this cause, but I'm also thankful that God has given me a heart to do this and will accept me to suffer, so to suffer for him. And then uh, also I think of just the Hebrews 11, 1 uh, verse, Lisa, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Absolutely. You know, when you you give that quote from Bradford, he had a really interesting start. Uh, Bradford came from a wealthy family. Uh, he had every opportunity before him. 
And uh, he started reading the scriptures. And when he read the scriptures, and I think uh, he was around 12 years old, he started reading the scriptures and the Lord just opened his eyes up to truth. His family, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, reading the scripture and disagreeing with the church was paramount to treason. His family was very upset with what he did. Uh, They told him, if you go this direction, then we're cutting you out. And Bradford did. He gave up everything. He not only gave up his family, he gave up his fortune. Uh, when he was in Leiden with, uh, and married his wife there and they had a child, uh, they chose to leave the son behind because they, they feared for his safety in the new land. And uh, th- there's uh, a movie, and I don't know how, how true this quote might be, but uh, I believe the mindset of, of he and his wife was both uh, if we don't see him someday in the new world, we'll see him in heaven. Uh, and so that, that to me is tremendous faith, yeah. tremendous faith. That, that's a great segue into this next little segment, Lisa, of behind the quote. And I chose this quote because it, I just think it's really, it's, it's just awesome. William Bradford wrote in his famous historical work uh, of Plymouth Plantation. He says this, last and not least, they cherished a great hope an inward zeal of laying good foundations, or at least making some ways towards it, for the propagation and advance of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in the remote parts of the world, even though they should be but stepping stones to others in the performance of so great a work. And he goes on to say, thus, out of small beginnings, greater things have been produced by his hand that made all things of nothing, and gives being to all things that are. And as one small candle may light a thousand, so the light here kindled hath shone unto many. Yea, in some sort to our whole nation, let the glorious name of Jehovah have all the praise. Well, Aaron, I love that quote. When I was an organizer and bringing groups Every year, I would buy just a bundle of bookmark that had this particular quote on it. And it was kind of our theme for the year as we were preparing for the trip. And so, you know, I think it's a very appropriate quote. You'll find it on the side of the Forefathers Monument. It's it's such an important quote. I've heard people say, well, the pilgrims didn't know what they were doing. They had no idea what, you know, that what they were doing was going to be Uh, you know, such a a landmark thing. If you read his words, they knew they were pilgrims. They knew this was a spiritual journey. They knew that God was going to be planting seeds through their actions. Uh, And so, yeah, I I absolutely love that quote. Yeah, Lisa. And even, even in the Mayflower Compact, which was really written up over in uh, Europe and then ultimately signed on board the Mayflower uh, before they disembarked. In that Mayflower Compact, it says, you know, the, the, the primary reason that they're coming to the new world is for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the Christian faith. So I love that. You know, it's yes. that reflects William Bradford's heart and I'm sure others on there. But since he was the leader, we'll give him the, the, the credit. You know, what's interesting too, Aaron, is that there are, I have read other charters where the uh, participants and, and the people who are funding it have written up things that say, in the name of God, in the glorious name of God. But when you look at the pilgrims and you see that they wrote in the glorious name of God, and then you look at their actions and you look at 
their true heart behind what they were doing, you realize there was a difference for them when they wrote in the name of God and amen, meaning so be it. Yeah, let it be so. Well, Lisa, let's move on to the next segment. Uh, This segment is called Behind the Tour Guide. And since you are the tour guide, since we're we're visiting Plymouth today, and you're going to give us a little bit of a a walk through Plymouth here in a few moments, but what has drawn you uh, to Plymouth over the years personally? Well, you know, as I said, when I started teaching at a school that taught history from a providential perspective, and I moved into a grade level where part of the focus for the year, we had what we called the chain of Christianity. And the link on the chain of Christianity that my particular grade level was focused on had to do with America's Christian founding. You know, you said teachers never retire. Well, teachers really don't get summers off either, because (laughs) the summer before I was moving into that a particular grade level, I told my husband, we need to go to Jamestown and I need to go to Plymouth. I'm going to be teaching this. I want boots on the ground. I want to learn about these places. God bless him. My husband packed us all up. My kids were were still quite young. And we spent almost two weeks in Jamestown and in Plymouth. Well, along the way on this trip, my husband drops the landmine that he's a Hopkins descendant. I've known this man for 13 years, never knew that he was a Mayflower descendant. And so that's keeping it from even, you until the right moment. Exactly. And, and so that just sparked my curiosity even more because yes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm married to him, but my children carry his blood and my children are Hopkins descendants. And mm-hmm. so that uh, brought me from curiosity uh, into, you know, a passion. And from that first visit, I just have been in love with the telling of the story of our founding from so many years being educated about, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that they wore, you know, the big buckles and the big hats and they had turkey and, you know, but the real story behind it is complex and fascinating. So in your opinion, Lisa, why is why is Plymouth a must visit for people? As we do this walkthrough tour, there was a moment for me that I will talk about where suddenly everything I had been taught and everything I had read and everything I had seen was like three transparent pieces that laid over the top of each other. And suddenly the story came to life. And I felt like I, you know, somehow knew these people just being there, where they had been, where they had walked. It, it just was, it was a huge eye-opening moment for me. Well, on that note then, Lisa, why don't we take a walk through Plymouth? I'm going to start you down by the waterfront, kind of where everything began for them. There's a street that runs down along the harbor area in Plymouth called Water Street. Standing there at, at the end of Water Street, you can see the Mayflower 2. And that is a replica of the Mayflower. They've gone to great measures to be very precise and accurate in the reconstruction of it. You can board that ship. You will be shocked at how small the ship is. It's not a cruise liner. It's a tiny little ship. And how many people were on board that ship? A hundred people on board. <laughs> you know, when you think about that, when you're there, that whole idea of faith and courage becomes a much bigger deal. So you have the Mayflower too there. Then if you look a little off to your uh, to your right, you're going to see a big Grecian portico. And under that portico is that really large symbolic thing that everybody thinks of when they think of the pilgrims and you're going to see Plymouth Rock. 
and you're going to have great anticipation and you're going to get to that portico. You're going to look over the edge and you're going to be underwhelmed. <laughs> it's, it's a rock. It's a large rock, uh, but it's a rock sitting there. If you know some of the story behind the rock, the rock suddenly becomes a lot more interesting. Uh, the rock that is there under the portico is actually just a portion of the original rock. And a lot of times people say, is this really the rock? How do we know this is the rock? Well, there was an individual named Elder Fonts, um, and his father actually uh, knew the pilgrims, knew, knew some of the surviving pilgrims, and they were the ones that had taken him down to the water and said, this is the spot. Well, you might say, well, you know, how do, how do we really believe him? This is where lessons in character come in, because the Fonts family were known to be highly reputable individuals. They were known to be honest. And so when Fonts passed this information on to his son and his son related it, people believed it. His character made him worthy of believing. And actually, they had talked about building over the harbor and covering the rock. Fonts heard about this and said, well, I just want to go down there and see it one more time. And they carried him down to the water and he kissed the rock because to him, it was such a, a precious symbol of the coming to this, this country. The rock, because it is, it seems to be quite small. Uh, when you think of Plymouth Rock, you think of this big boulder, and it actually was larger around the time of the Revolution War. They were putting up liberty poles around towns, and they wanted to plant a liberty pole with this rock. Enduring through to the, revo to the revolution, this was the rock. Uh, and, you know, for us as Christians, the rock is just full of symbolism. Well, they take a pulley and they hook it up to this rock and they're trying to pull it up to town square and it cracks in half. And of course, many view this as prophetic because they're getting ready to split with, with England and here this rock has split. And so uh, they, they take part of it and it goes up towards uh, town square and they take the other half and they put it back down by the water. Uh, and over the course of years, uh, parts of it are eventually reunited. Some of it still sits uh, in a museum there, Pilgrim Hall, and you can go and actually see a piece of it there. Uh, but when you see the rock down in the portico, there's a seam, and you can see where they fuse those pieces back together. Uh, but between the splitting and before it was under a portico, people chipping away pieces as souvenirs, uh, it has become quite diminished in size. But it's a rock with a real history. I love that. Well, in speaking of Plymouth Harbor, there's something else in that area, the Bradford statue, right? Yes. If you if you look further over to your right, there is a statue of William Bradford. And unfortunately, he is a little bit of a caricature of himself. He uh, is wearing kind of the, the typical uh, tall hat and buckles. But that would be, you know, a lot of monuments and memorials that we see kind of are dependent upon the time and the era that they've been uh, created in. So you go over to his statue and he's right there on the waterfront and he's looking towards where Plymouth would have been. His back is to England. He is facing the place where he landed with these people and where God led him to be. Uh, and so, yes, he's right down there by the waterfront. Awesome, Lisa. So what is next on our walking tour? If we take a little turn and we start to head up the hill, there's a tremendous hill right there uh, in the front of the town. And as you start to head, head and make your way up the hill, to your left, 
is Brewster Gardens. But as you go up a street, and we're not quite over to Leiden Street yet, there is a monument there to the Pilgrim Mothers. And it's memorializing the women who came on the trip. She has a somber look on her face. She is carrying a Bible. One of the big differences between Plymouth and Jamestown, because a lot of people will make a comparison between the two, Jamestown didn't have any women. Jamestown was all men. And their focus, yes, there were people there who were looking uh, to evangelize, but it was primarily a monetary focus, and it was focused on the nation, enriching the nation. When women came to Plymouth, you knew that they were serious about starting a culture. There's certain ingredients you need to build a community. That man, you've got to have women. Yeah, Lisa, I think they would eventually figure that out in Jamestown, uh, that they needed women. They, they did. And, and there's actually a quote in about that when the women came, stability and morality followed. Yeah. The women were not having any of that nonsense. So <laughs> Jamestown definitely changed. Yeah, they didn't have to eat their own shoes anymore. No, no. The ladies were there. They were going to take care of it. Um, I wanted to read to you just real quickly a quote that's on the inscription that's on the bottom of the Pilgrim Mother statue. And it says they brought up their families with sturdy virtue and a living faith in God without which nations perish. And so there's that morality uh, that that definitely was brought from the start into Plymouth. It's awesome. All right. So what's uh, what's next on our list? Well, so we're going to continue on up that hill. And on top of that hill, there's a couple of pretty significant things. The first thing that you're going to see will be a tremendous statue of Massasoit, who was the the chief of the Wampanoag, who uh, created the uh, peace treaty, the pilgrims that lasted 50 years, longer than any other peace treaty that there had been. Very close to Massasoit, there's another marker. There actually are um, groups of Native Americans that on Thanksgiving have a national day of mourning. There is still a lot of things to be um, kind of reconciled between cultures there. At the statue of Massasoit, who is tremendous, Um, There's a description given of him, and it says, in his person, he was a very lusty man. In his best years, an able body, grave of countenance, and spare of speech. In his attire, little or nothing, different from the rest of his followers, differing from the rest of his followers, only in a great chain of white boneheads around his neck. And so the, the statue, when you see it, it meets that description. Well, just beyond that, and I think probably is more the focus of that national day of mourning that, that the Native American uh, cultures have up there, is a giant sarcophagus. Uh, very interesting story behind that sarcophagus. Um, during that first winter, when the, the pilgrims were uh, suffering Uh, You had some of them living on board the Mayflower. You had some of them living uh, in a common house there. And a great number, we know that half of them died during that winter due to disease and starvation and uh, exposure to the elements. Well, that peace treaty with the Wampanoag had not happened yet. They had had some brief sightings. They were a little concerned about all of these Uh, indigenous people being aware that their numbers were being narrowed down so quickly. So they buried their dead at night. They buried them there on that hill. That hill is called Coles Hill. Um, Over the course of the, you know, over, you know, about a hundred years, you had storms that began to wash away parts of the hill. Uh, The hill was reclaimed. The, the, uh, 
ground began washing away and it would expose remains. And it was discovered that those remains were the pilgrims. Um, Initially, the the bones were gathered and they were put um, in uh, the portico over Plymouth Rock. They were put up in the attic. Uh, It was a different portico then. They finally decided to build a sarcophagus. They put all all the the bones uh, that they had found in a plain pine box and put it inside of the sarcophagus and engraved on the side of it are the names of all of those that perished during that first winter. Yeah, that, and Lisa, that's amazing. But, you know, from, from the voyage, their voyage to the first Thanksgiving, we can't forget that the pilgrims suffered <laughs> from just innumerable hardships, which steadily killed many of them, like you just said, uh, uh, you know, men, women, and children, and that their circumstances were were so dire um, and so devastating uh, that they eventually, uh, I guess that when they eventually celebrated their first successful harvest that next year uh, with the natives, um, almost half of half the people were dead, right? Yes, half were dead. Uh, the, uh, the remaining, uh, many of the women perished. Uh, they actually laid on top of their children to keep them warm, gave up their own uh, their own food um, so that their children would not starve. So you have a survival of many, uh, many of the children, many of the mothers died. A uh, lot of very quick uh, remarrying there to keep families going. Um, and so, you know, you have this this small group that has endured so much that, um, you know, I'm sure that uh, the main reason they moved forward was for the Lord. But I think also in the, the memory of those that had that had died, they were going to make it. They were going to push through. Well, Lisa, why don't we move on to uh, another place, uh, the first parish of Plymouth? Right. Well, here we are on the the hilltop uh, of Coles Hill, and we're standing at the sarcophagus. And if we can continue on and up around the bend, uh, the first thing we're going to pass is the site of the first common house where they actually endured uh, some of them that first winter. Um, It now is uh, privately owned, but the individual actually works with Christian groups having to do with restoring America's Christian founding to its, you know, to an accurate retelling. So you go up this street, which incidentally is named Leiden Street, after the place where they lived in Holland for 12 years. Uh, You continue up uh, Leiden Street and, and immediately you will see in front of you a very large stone church and that is not the not the original church, but it is the original location where um, and, and it was the first congregation ever established in America. And so uh, that church kind of uh, boasts that location. Okay, so um, as we continue to walk, what's next on our list? Is it Burial Hill? Burial Hill, and and for me, a very significant spot. I don't know. It might seem strange to some people, but I cannot go to Plymouth without going to Burial Hill. When you climb Burial Hill, of course, it's a it's a graveyard, and there are some very significant people who are buried there. There is a um, an obelisk there for William Bradford, and Robert and Thomas Cushman uh, have the largest obelisk in the um, in the, the burial ground. Uh, Cushman, uh, his father worked with John Carver, helping to uh, prepare the trip. And his son, Thomas, became an elder and was a leader, a uh, very important leader in the, uh, in the community. 
But by far the most significant spot for me, there is a sign there that marks the spot of the first fort. And remember I told you there was this moment where I just kind of felt like all these, uh, you know, kind of transparencies lined up and I had a true picture. Um, I had been to Plymouth, but never been up to Burial Hill. I had been to Plymouth Plantation, which is, uh, you know, definitely another uh, spot that you must visit when you were there. It's a, uh, a, a reenactment and uh, an accurate uh, reconstruction of uh, the actual Plymouth Plantation. So I had been there and I had stood at the fort in the rebuilt village and I had looked down the hill and I had seen the water and I had been in Plymouth, but hadn't been up to Coles Hill. And then I finally made it up to Coles Hill during uh, one of my trips. And I stood there and I saw the sign and it was like standing at the top of the hill in Plymouth Plantation and now standing in that exact spot. It suddenly just all came together for me. And if you would indulge me, I want to read to you the description um, along with Bradford's uh, extensive history of the pilgrims. Uh, there's another one called Mort's Relation. And in Mort's Relation, he describes the location. And here's what he says. And this is what brought it all together for me. Because I stood there that particular year, I had read this quote, and it suddenly just all came together. It says, after our landing and viewing of the places so well as we could, we came to a conclusion by most voices to set on the mainland on the first place on a high ground where there is a great deal of land cleared and hath been planted with corn there three or four years ago. And there is a very sweet brook runs under the hillside and many delicate springs of as good water as can be drunk and where we may harbor our shallops and boats exceedingly well. And in the brook, much good fish in their seasons. And on further side of the river, also much corn ground cleared. And one field is a great hill on which we point to make a platform and plant our ordinance, which will command all around about. From thence, we may see into the bay and far into the sea, and we may see thence Cape Cod. And so that for me, those were the words that rung in my head. And as I looked out, I saw the, I couldn't see it, but I knew where the brook was. And I can see them standing there, seeing the, the town brook that runs through Brewster Gardens, looking down and seeing Coles Hill there, uh, knowing that where I was standing was, was where they had said, this is a good defensible position for us. Uh, and so that's why it is such an important place for me. And that's where Plymouth kind of came alive in my mind and in my heart. Well, and Lisa, that's another really important name too, is William Brewster. And there's there's a, there's a lot of um, lot of figures uh, during this period um, that are very important, and I'd encourage our listeners to do some reading on their own uh, about the the real history of Plymouth and their voyage. And one other thing that I can think of too, Lisa, and then we've got to keep moving on our tour. Um, but one of the th- I love the the inscription on William Bradford's uh, gravesite. Uh, of course, it gives. Well, it says under this stone rest the ashes of William Bradford. (laughs) I love that, the ashes. (laughs) Um, A zealous Puritan and sincere Christian governor of Plymouth Colony from 1621 to 1657. 
And then two other little quick ones. Uh, it says, let the right hand of the Lord awake. Uh, and that's inscribed in Hebrew. And then uh, what our fathers with so much difficulty, difficulty attained, do not basely relinquish. Uh, and that's in Latin. Uh, and I love that one too. What our fathers with so much difficulty attained, do not basely relinquish. He knew the difficulties that they had endured and, and would endure even more. All right, Lisa, so what's next on our list? Well, we're going to continue. We're going to head down the hill now on the other side of the hill. We're going to head down and uh, directly at the bottom of that hill, uh, we run into the Ginny Grist Mill. And it is the site of uh, the first business in the new world. Uh, it was the, the, the first time uh, that you had people uh, buying and selling, uh, bartering, and uh, you know the people realized we can grow the corn and he can grind it. And he could grind it, but he couldn't bake it. So he could have people bake for him. And so you have this beginning of uh, an economy emerging in Plymouth. Continue on around the mill and we head down into Brewster Gardens. And you mentioned him as an important figure. Um, Brewster actually took in Bradford. When Bradford was uh, kicked out of his family, Brewster was the one who took him in and raised him as his own son. Um, and uh, Bradford, actually, in return, when he was older, he did the same. He also was, uh, you know, today we would call it a foster parent uh, to many children who were who were parentless there in the in the uh, in the colonies. So as you head through Brewster Garden, you see that beautiful uh, town brook that we talked about. Uh, herring run through it every year, and so it is still clean, fresh water. It is still profitable for uh, for food. And you continue on around into Brewster Gardens and you've come now full circle. You're all the way back down at uh, Bradford statue. Uh, and you are standing in front of that original common house. And so that's just kind of a circular walking tour of, um, of the old town of Plymouth. All right, Lisa. So uh, what's what's the next site? Well, we're going to move from that little front downtown area, take a very quick little ride um, up into the center of town, uh, into the middle of neighborhoods, and um, you, you, just a charming drive. I remember the first time that I took a tour with American Christian Tours, and the first time I saw the Forefathers Monument, we're driving through this neighborhood, and suddenly we turn the corner and there is this tremendous, tremendous, breathtaking statue. And um, I, I just immediately just cried yeah, just at the hid, beauty hidden of in it. plain view. <laughs> hidden in plain view. So you, you come upon this statue. Um, it's a, a huge clearing that you would not expect. Um, and if you listen to Marshall Foster talk about it, um, it is commonly referred to as the Matrix of Liberty. It's a and blueprint. Lisa, this is the national. This is the national forefathers monument. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, it's the national forefathers monument. It, it is just. Um, it is breathtaking. The details and the symbolism that are in there. Uh, it gives a blueprint for the character that is necessary, uh, the action that is necessary for a country to have 
the liberties that we have. It is a blueprint for an American Christian Republic, which many people today, you ask them what our government is and they will say, oh, we're a democracy. Well, we're not, we're a Republic. We have democratic practices, uh, but we are an American Christian Republic. Um, We have that foundation. We may not be functioning in a way that we appear to be, but our foundation remains. And um, that's one of the things that uh, when we go to the monument, we talk about each of the figures around it and the symbolism that it has, how it tells the story of the pilgrims. And then we come around to that quote that you talked about, uh, that Bradford quote, the one small light. And that's always my opportunity to say to the groups that I am with, they knew what they were doing. They knew that God had a calling on them. They knew that what they were going to do was not only going to make a difference in their little town, in their community, in the nation that would form, but they knew that it would make a difference in the world, and it has. You must go see it. You will leave that monument changed. Yeah. Well, Lisa, that is, and I wish we had more time uh, because there's so much more, uh, and I, I would, <laughs> we'll have to have you back because uh, be there's, there's there's so much more even to this location. Um, but thank you, you did a wonderful job uh, with directing us. Anybody who can needs to go out and visit Plymouth, Massachusetts. Absolutely. Now is our call to action. And as I think about the, uh, you know, the calling that uh, William Bradford, William Brewster and others, uh, you know, those hundred people, the call that God had on their life was really important for them to listen to, right? And, you know, God has intimate involvement in all that we do. Uh, Queen Esther is a prime example in God's word of Mm -hmm. God architecting every last little detail of our lives. Um, he uses the good and the bad for his glory. Call to action for the listeners would would be this. Would you be willing to answer the call or a call that God has on your life? If you're an educator, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, um, and you're a Christian, um, are you willing to answer that call and to continue to serve him faithfully uh, within the context of your vocation? Well, I think of Abraham, too, uh, left all that uh, left all that he had and followed God's instruction. And he obeyed, even though he didn't know where he was going. And uh, I think of the prophet Jeremiah also. Um, he was rejected and mistreated by his countrymen. You know, he wrote the book of Lamentations. Uh, Jeremiah understood what it meant to have difficult days with no end in sight. Uh, but out of them came a deeper awareness of the Lord's provisions. So, Lisa, would you have anything to add to that, just as far as our, our call to action? We, we know that we're going to go through difficult times, right, um, and to persevere and to continue, um, that we, we know we're going to encounter days that we wish were different. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think what, what came to my mind, I, I love the first thing that you said, that God has intimate involvement in all that we do, um, you know, when I look back at my life now, and, you know, I have much life to live, but when I look back um, and I see his call on me, and um, I am so thankful that I heard the call, that I was able to hear it, that I was listening. Um, I'm so thankful that um, the Holy Spirit gave me the courage to respond because it has been the greatest joy in my life 
to serve in the area of education. And I didn't start out as, a, as an educator in a Christian school. I started out teaching um, students with exceptionalities, and it was my children and the desire for them to have a Christian education that brought me into Christian education. And serving him in this way has been the greatest joy in my life. Not always the easiest thing to do, uh, but I would just say, uh, you know, um, take take that take that step, have the faith, have the courage. And, and walk into what he has for you. Yeah, that's awesome. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. And again, I would love to have you back. You'd, you'd be willing to come back with us? Absolutely. This has been great. I, I love talking about my favorite, my favorite America's hometown. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, Lisa Strong, thank you so much. Well, everybody, uh, don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified when the next episode drops and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you have any questions for us, you can email us at behind the tour, all one word, at axacts-tours.com. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. And uh, we had a great adventure in Plymouth. Hopefully, you know a little bit more than you did. And as always, remember that your story is a part of his story. And God put you here and now for such a time as this. I hope you join us next time. And until then, God bless. And we look forward to seeing you again. Bye.